Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. So John Wesley said, it seems to me that God will do nothing on the earth except he do it through a man. And uh, that's where we're at. And I think you can see that when the church drops the ball and we just, you know, just put, we'll just leave it in prayer. You can see where that leads us as a nation and as a people. You can see where we're at right now. We're not in a, a very good place. But how many of you know that God always has a remnant? That if that remnant rises up, People that aren't interested in just playing games, just filling in a, a church pew on Sunday morning, just, you know, belonging to a social club, but actually interested in what the Bible promises. That if my people who are called by my name will indeed humble themselves and pray. You know, oftentimes in the Bible, the word humble has a reference to fasting and prayer. So when the Bible says we're to humble ourselves and pray, it's it's referencing fasting and prayer. And that's why I entitled today's broadcast, Unlocking God's Power for a Nation, for your own family, for your business, for your body. Unlocking God's power through the agency of fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer, I mean, we're going to read it. I'll read it first. Matthew chapter 6. Fasting and prayer is not an option for a child of God. If you believe yourself to be a born-again Christian, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, fasting is not an option. Fasting is a, an institution, is, is, a, is a practice instituted by God Himself, by Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting because the thing that got man into trouble was what? We couldn't hold back our mouths from eating. And so it only makes sense in God's genius wisdom that to unlock God's power and breakthrough, we now have to put our hand to the mouth, which that's what fasting is. Fasting, biblically, the word in the Hebrew to fast is to abstain from, from food. It actually is a, it's a Hebrew picture of putting one's hand to his mouth to block access into the mouth so i'm going to go through things that we can expect when we fast but i'm also going to give you practical keys today on how to fast because i think some people don't know how to fast and that's okay because if you've never fasted before if you've never been taught how to fast then obviously you're going to be ignorant as to how to fast and if you're ignorant on how to fast and pray you're going to have a hard time fasting and praying i tell you the truth if you don't know how to fast properly you know there's some people they they uh they try and fast they go without food but you know all they 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 drink a bit of water and then they're drinking you know all kinds of coke and diet pepsi and all that stuff and just it's just ruining their system and then they don't some people they try and do just just uh just what um sorry, sorry no water no food and so it just crushes their system because that's called a total fast which i'm not going to recommend to anybody watching today but a total fast they try and do 21 days of total fasting and then they cr just crumble under the pressure of that. And so they just, oh, I guess I'm not meant for fasting. No, there's a way to fast. There's a way, there's a practical method to fast. And when fasting, there's not only practical things you can do, but there's spiritual things you can do in the duration of your fast that'll help you in unlocking God's power 
to break you out of whatever situation you're in and also to change level. Why do we fast and pray? We fast and pray to change levels. We fast and pray. Fasting and prayer does not help God. Fasting and prayer is not assisting God. Fasting and prayer, you have to get this in your spirit today. Fasting and prayer is not going to change God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The Bible says in the book of Malachi, I am the Lord your God and I change not. I don't change. So we're not fasting in prayer to change God. Fasting in prayer ultimately changes us and garners favor with God so that whatever situation we're facing, challenges ahead of us, they get totally bull rushed by the power of God working in our favor. That's what fasting and prayer does. And I'm going to go through the effects of fasting as we move on. But let me just read this first. Hey, John Duke. Josie on YouTube, God bless you. Franca, if you haven't taken time to share the broadcast, you'd be a great help to me if you shared the broadcast today and get the word out to as many people as possible. Matthew chapter 6. And let's, uh, let's begin with verse 5. When you pray. So first things first. If all you do is fast and you don't pray. Hey, Evangelist Joseph, God bless you, man. Great evangelist out of uh, Nigeria. I'd encourage you to follow him on his page and stuff. A, a mighty man of God that God's raising up in, in the continent of Africa. The first thing you have to do is understand that you're not fasting to, to, to diet, to lose weight. Fasting is not a means to lose weight. Although one of the benefits of fasting is you will shed a few pounds. But fasting is not you trying to diet with a spiritual twist to it. No. Fasting is like, if you fast and don't pray, it's like having C4 without a detonator. It's useless. You need The, the power in fasting is when you pray. The power in fasting is your desperation in prayer. Is your, you know, David said, I give myself to prayer. If my people will humble themselves fast and pray, then I'll hear them from heaven. So if all you're doing is abstaining from food, hoping God will hear you. That, in order for fasting and prayer to produce right results, there has to be a prayer given. Call unto me, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I will answer you. And I'll show you great and mighty things which you know not of. Fasting expedites and um, gives speedy access to answered prayer. Fasting ex expedites your prayers to God and gives a speedy recovery of what you're asking God for. That's what fasting does. It expedites. It increases the speed on which God acts on your behalf. I mean, you can see that in Daniel chapter 9 and 10. Daniel goes on a fast. For many days, he's perplexed at the condition of Israel. At the condition of Israel in Babylon. Because, you know, Jeremiah's writings had said that Israel would be in Babylon for about uh, 70 years. But after 70 years, God would break the people of Israel out of Babylonian captivity and bring them back into their own land. And so... Daniel knew that the 70 year time clock had finished and was coming coming to a close and he was asking God and giving himself to prayer alone Lord why am why are we still in captivity why haven't we returned to Jerusalem what you said and, and he brought God to remembrance of his word in Jeremiah you said that if we 
uh, after these 70 years, you would bring us back into the land from which we were scattered from. And as he prayed, nothing came to pass. He didn't have an answer. But then he mixed in fasting with that prayer. And when he coupled fasting with prayer, the Bible says after 21 days, an angel came to Daniel and said, Daniel, from the very first day that you set yourself to fast and to pray, so not just to pray, when you set yourself to fast and to pray and entreat God's favor, God heard your request. And I was sent to help you. Nevertheless, the demon prince over the area of Persia withheld me. And so what did fasting do? Fasting released angelic assistance, angelic um, reinforcement from heaven to break Michael, whatever angel that was, Gabriel, uh, Gabriel probably, free from the captivity he was in in the, in the heavenlies. You have to understand, uh, life is spiritual warfare. Life is not physical alone. There's things going on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly, for in heavenly places. So those spiritual forces of wickedness were trying to prevent Daniel's prayers from being answered. But when he mixed fasting with prayer, God sent heavenly reinforcement, which dispatched his answer quick, quicker, in a quick, quicker fashion, in a quicker manner. And so when, when you don't fast and don't mix fasting with prayer, what ends up happening is, is a lot of your answered prayer gets clogged up because you have to understand the devil, the Bible says, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There's, there is going to be resistance in life. Challenges for a Christian are inevitable. Challenges for a Christian are inevitable. There's going to be challenge. There's going to be uh, demonic resistance in you accessing God's glorious inheritance and plan for your life. But the weapons of our, our warfare, though they're not carnal, they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So though there might be people and demon forces that stand against you from receiving what God wants in your hand, you're not helpless or at the mercy of those forces because of the tools and the weapons that God has given us as born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, though we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, that word wrestle, I think some people think that they believe that we're in like some sort of wrestling match with the devil that we have to like get him in a headlock and we're sweating and we're bruised up bleeding and and you know always having to look over our shoulder left and right living in total fear and torment of demonic forces but that word wrestle doesn't actually mean that at all that word wrestle just indicates that in life there's going to be a constant battle between uh between you and opposing forces that until you make it to heaven, there's always going to be a challenge. There's all anytime God says there's a there's a level change that I want to take you to. There's a new level I want to bring you to. There's always going to be a giant that rises up to prevent you from coming in to the land that God has for you, which flows with milk and honey. Remember this. The Bible says when God told Moses, I'm going to bring my people into a good land. God has a good land for you. God has. You have to settle that in your spirit. God's not 
having you journey into a desolate wilderness, into a, a, you know, God's plan for his people is not dry places. The Bible says it's the devil that seeks through dry places seeking rest, but he finds none. But God's not bringing you through dry places. Psalm 1 says it perfectly. Oh, how blessed are the people who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor do they stand in the path of sinners, nor do they sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the Lord, and in his law they do meditate day and night. They will be like a tree. So these people that are dedicated to God's word, dedicated and wholeheartedly pursuing God's purposes, plans, for their life. God says they'll be like a tree firmly planted by a river. That's not a dry place. That's an abundance of water. A river. A, 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 the Bible says that there's a river that makes glad the city of our God. There's a river. God is not in dry places. Everywhere God goes. The Bible says in Isaiah, at the presence of God, the heavens gave rain at the presence of God. God's presence means a means. It, it eradicates dry places. It eradicates. it. God's purpose for your life is not to take you out of good times and put you into worse times. Salvation isn't a step down. Salvation is literally God stretching out his mighty arm into the miry, dry, desolate pit you're in, lifting you up and putting you on the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ, our King. So you have to get that out of your your. You'll never fast and pray if you don't see that there's something you need to fast and pray for. You'll never fast and pray until you get a picture of an enviable, desirable future that God wants to take you to. You'll never fast and pray. You know, what led Daniel to fast and pray? It was because he saw that his captivity was designated to be over and that God was going to bring him out to freedom. If you don't see that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has sent Christ to give you life and life more abundantly, you'll never have a fight in your spirit to reach towards the things which Christ's blood purchased for you to inherit. You have a glorious inheritance. Romans chapter 8. The scripture says so clearly, those whom he predestinated, he also did call to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Those whom he did call, he also did justify. And whom he justified, Jesus did glorify. God has a glorious enviable destiny ahead of you. God did not is not calling you for poverty. He's not calling you to a life of misery, to a life of tragedy. The Bible says in Isaiah 58, God wants to set you on the high places of the earth and feed you with the inheritance of your father Jacob. I mean, if you study the life of Jacob, who's one of our covenant fathers, I, that's the family I belong to. I belong to the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because the Bible says that through faith, we are children of Abraham. By faith, we are the heirs of the blessing of Abraham. Well, what did Abraham inherit? What was Abraham's life like? What was Isaac's life like? What was Jacob's life like? Were they struggling through life aimlessly, not knowing what was going to happen tomorrow, just hoping for the best? No. The Bible says Jacob, I mean, I just did a study last week on what, on what Jacob's life was like. The guy was like a blessing magnet. 
when Laban tried to make things hard for him and said, you know what? Every spotted or speckled cow or oxen or sheep that gives birth, that, that, that is born, that's going to be, that's going to be your possession, Jacob. But anything that comes out pure, that's going to be my possession. So God made it so that all the spotted and speckled sheep and animals were all the strongest so that Jacob was inheriting all the strongest, fattest animals while all the plain, you know, non-spotted, non-speckled animals came out weak and emaciated. And then when Laban switched the terms, because he did it 10 times, the Bible says, and said, you know what? Uh, we're going to change this up. All the plain and non-spotted animals you're going to take and all the spotted and speckled animals I'm going to take for my own self. God did it so that all those plain animals came out the strongest and the spotted and the speckled came out weak. God was, no matter what terms that, that wicked man had for Jacob, trying to screw him in business, trying to like, you know, mess up his plans. God always had a plan to take Jacob, not to bring Jacob out uh, uh, losing, but every time Jacob came out on the top and winning. That's the plan God has for you. That no matter what happens around you, no matter who's around you trying to make life difficult for you, you always come out on top winning because of God's blessing on your life. That's what the blessing of God does for you. The blessing of God is not something for us to just marvel at and read about in the Old Testament and the New Testament and just say, wow, oh, would it have been nice to live in the days of Obed-Edom when we saw the Lord bless His house on behalf of the Ark of the Covenant. No, that, that when you see the Ark of the Covenant coming to Obed-Edom's house and everything, his, his plants beginning to flourish, his trees producing the best fruits, his, his cattle and his livelihood and his flocks beginning to grow exponentially, having the fattest animals. And everybody, the Bible says even the king had word that God had blessed Obed-Edom's house on behalf of the presence of God. That's what God's presence does. God's presence attracts. It's a supernatural magnet for blessing. That in the midst of famine, you are fully and abundantly satisfied and always on top, never at the bottom. Always the head, never the tail. Always above and never beneath. That's the blessing that's going to come on you from this day forward. As you engage God through fasting and prayer. I'm going to tell you something. Fasting produces something in you. That is like an attracting force for everybody. There's something. I mean, you look at the life of Abraham when the blessing of God came on him. People were gravitating towards Abraham. People were gravitating. Look at Jesus. He goes into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days. When he comes back, the Bible says, Matthew 4, that immediately word spread throughout the surrounding regions of Jerusalem and even into Syria. And they began to, multitudes began to bring to him all that were sick and of palsy, epileptics, paralytics, and great multitudes followed him everywhere he went. Fasting in the life of Jesus. Now you have to get this. If Jesus had to fast to unlock that dimension of power in his life, who are we to think that we're going to walk in that level of power without fasting and prayer? Jesus said it. The disciple is not above his master, nor is a, um, nor is a, a, a student above his teacher. You're not above your master. What you saw Jesus do 
If you want to walk in that same dimension of power, you have to implement those same spiritual disciplines and practices in your own life. I mean, you see it in Mark chapter 9. The Bible says that when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up into a mountain, for several days they were there, and they prayed, and obviously they weren't eating, that Jesus, there was a vision, and Jesus' face was transfigured before them, and Peter, James, and John saw a, mount, uh, a cloud overshadow Jesus. And the Bible says they saw Elijah and Moses come to Jesus, speaking to him. And then a voice came out of the clouds saying, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. After that happened, now that was a time of consecrated fasting and desperate, fervent prayer. After that happened, they come down from the mountain and they meet people that were arguing with the disciples that hadn't gone up to fast and pray. And those disciples were trying to answer the multitudes, but they had no answer because a man had brought his sick, epileptic, demon-possessed child to the disciples, asking them, you know, cure my kid. Now remember, Jesus had already given authority and power to the disciples in Mark chapter 3. This is Mark chapter 9. Chronolo uh, chronologically, this is, you know, several, who knows, maybe a year, two years later, several months later, but it was after Jesus had already given authority to his disciples to cast out demons. Mark chapter 3. And he called his 12 to be with him that he might send them out to preach and to cast out devils and heal all that were sick. That's in Mark, Mark 3, 14. Mark 9 comes around and they try and cast out this demon, but it doesn't work. They tried. They, they did everything they knew how to do. They flung the oil. They used the name of Jesus. They did everything they knew how to do. But that demon resisted because he detected there wasn't a dimension. You have to understand this. Jesus taught that there are levels of demon power in the kingdom of darkness. He said when an unclean spirit comes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. But when he finds none, he returns to the house from which he came. And when he sees that it is empty, when he sees that it is clean and swept and put in order, he goes out and finds seven spirits that are more wicked than he. So that shows that there are levels of demon principalities and powers in the kingdom of darkness. And so these disciples had cast out demons before. The Bible says in Mark chapter 3, and they went casting out devils and healing the sick. But they came to a certain devil, a certain demon, a principality, that was obviously a higher ranked demon. And because they had never, because remember, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast often? But yours don't fast. They hadn't engaged in fasting and prayer. Jesus answered them and said, the, de uh, the, the friends of the bridegroom do not fast while the bridegroom is with them. However, the day will come where the bridegroom will be taken away from them. In that day, they will fast. So Jesus wasn't saying, you know, because you're my disciples of Christ, don't need to fast. We have some higher. No, he said in the day that I'm taken, that's going to because I'm with them now. They don't need to fast, but the day will come where I'll be taken from them. Well, you see, the day came where Jesus was on the mountain 
And those people had, they experienced supernatural power because of their close association and link with Jesus. When they traveled with Christ, because the anointed one, they, they got to enjoy of what I like to call an environmental blessing and anointing. When you hang around anointed people, you'll find you carry a dimension of power that's uh, more than what you when, you, when, when you're alive. You know, you go to a, a powerful anointed revival meeting week long two week long three week long revival meeting and you leave that you feel like you can take the world but if you don't keep yourself steered up and keep yourself in check and keep yourself uh in tune with the holy ghost through prayer and fasting that environmental anointing is going to wear off that's what you see uh, in the in the life of Saul, Saul was amongst the prophets and he did prophesy. But the moment he got away from the prophets, when he was out of that environment where prophets were prophesying, he got out of that anointing, that environmental anointing. He went out and tried to do what a prophet can do only. And he got himself in trouble because of it. So a lot of people, they, they get they taste of this environmental anointing. Then they go out and try and do things on their own without partaking of the disciplines that those men of God from to which you sat under partook of and then they get themselves burnt you get yourself hurt so you Jesus goes up on the mountain and the couple of days he was away from them they tried to do what they did before and were perplexed because they didn't have the same results what happened Jesus came on the scene see a lot of people use that to be you know how many of you know sometimes we try and do things and uh, we don't ultimately know what God's will is in every situation and scenario. So we just got to leave it up into God's hands. And God knows what's best for us. And we just got to pray, Lord, give us the serenity to, uh, to, to be at peace with the things we can't change. Give us the understanding to know the difference between what we can change and what we can't. You know, like people, they get into this religious dogma, dogmatic statements that mean nothing. But if you continue and actually read the rest of the story, Jesus looks to the disciples. He didn't look to the people. He looked at the disciples and said, you faithless and perverted generation. When, how long am I going to bear with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. When the man brought the boy to Jesus, Jesus asked, how long has this been happening to him? The man replied, from his childhood. You see, that's what... <laughs> I mean, I, I was in northern Saskatchewan in the month of December last year. And there was a great epidemic. Not a pandemic, an epidemic of suicides. People were killing themselves in the, the, the first nation of Makwasagagan, which means Loon Lake. And there was like, in a town of a thousand, 14 suicide attempts the week before we got there. And four had, you know, killed themselves. And the youngest of them was like eight years old. The devil will try his hardest to get a grip on people at a young age. And you see that in the story of this man. He brings his child. How long has this been happening to him? From childhood. That's why it's important to not only fast and pray for yourself, but you should be fasting and setting, a time, setting apart time to pray and fast for your children. Pray and fast for divine covering over your children. That every fiery dart the enemy decides to throw towards your family gets extinguished because of the anointed covering that we have over our children. Uh, and that's biblical. Ezra, Ezra chapter 8. Ezra proclaimed a fast at the river of Ahava to seek for himself the right way. 
for his his own self, his possession, and for his children. You can fast for your children so that the way you had it growing up doesn't have to be the way they have it growing up. You can fast so that they, they carry not generational curses, but they carry generational blessings. That they're like a blessing magnet everywhere they go. That they that God raises them up to be a deliverer in their generation. That God raises up our children to be mighty men of valor. That like Gideon, even if they only have 300 men around them, they're taking nations for the gospel. You can fast and pray for that. Those are things, not only things you can, things you should fast and pray for. I believe that... Samson's parents were given to fasting and prayer. I, I believe that Elizabeth and Zechariah were given to fasting and prayer. That's why God, through their, through their loins, gave birth to John the Baptist. It was through fasting and prayer. I mean, you look at Anna, the prophetess, who was a widow. At 84 years old, she's still fasting and prayer. She's still fasting and praying. And as a result, her eyes got to see the Messiah when he hit the scene on the earth. I mean, fasting and prayer will throw you. You know, you have to understand this. Ezekiel gives us a picture that there's dimensions of power in the anointing. Not everyone. I mean, you can see just based on uh, you growing up in church. If you grew up in church or if you've been in the church for six months to a year, you can see that there's ministers who carry a little bit of power. There's ministers who carry no power. There's ministers that carry a decent amount of power. You know, you're blessed in their meanings. And then there's other ministers that the moment they get up on the platform, just them saying, brethren, aren't we blessed to be in the house of God? Hallelujah. Just them saying that, it like invokes a wave of God's power that hits the scene. You look at Catherine Kuhlman. A lady given to fasting and prayer and intimacy with the Holy Ghost. The moment she got up and she would just say, Holy Spirit. The moment she said that, it was like a, 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 a windstorm of the anointing came into the room. I have, I have people that I've talked to that were staunch Baptists. They didn't want nothing to do with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They, they called them crazy jibber-jabberers. They called them uh, nonsense people. People that were like, they had a few screws missing in their brain. If you were Pentecostal, charismatic, they thought you, you were a lunatic. And then one day, I, it was a Bible college professor of mine. Him and his wife were traveling in St. Louis. And uh, they were they were evangelists, and they saw a billboard advertising Catherine Coleman's meetings. So they said, "You know what? Let us go. Let's go and see." The husband wanted to like see. You know, let's see if we can mock all the. Oh, no, it was the wife. The wife was like pretty much wanting to go just to see. You know, she can have content now to mock whatever whatever she saw, and uh, just solidify her arguments. You know, because if someone came up to her afterwards and said, "You know, you've never even experienced it. You never," she can say, "No, I've been." in Catherine Coleman's meeting. So she goes, and they're sitting in like the third row of this massive amphitheater. And Catherine Coleman takes the stage, begins to preach. And this couple, the lady, looks towards her left because she feels this presence hit the room. She looks up on her left side and she sees this cloud 
beginning to form in the left upper chambers of the auditorium. And she automatically thought, you know, this must be, this has to be like a smoke system that they have or, you know, maybe something, the heating's breaking, whatever it is. There has to be some natural way. But the cloud began to grow and grow until it began to move towards the center of, of the auditorium. And so she knocked her husband sitting next to her on the arm and said, hey, look, don't you see that crowd? She's like whispering, you see that crowd? She saw as the, as the cloud began to move on the people, wherever it moved, the people began to fall out and speak in other tongues. And so she nudged her husband and said, do you see that? And the husband's like, I don't see anything. Just calm down. You're embarrassing us. You know, keep quiet. And she kept on knocking his arm. This thing's coming toward her. And she's trying to like close up near him because it's, it's approaching where she's at. The moment it hit her and her husband, they both fell out, like just slipped off their chairs and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And from that moment onward, she, you know, they, they became Pentecost. I mean, they were some of the most charismatic Bible college professors I'd ever met. Missionaries from that point onward on foreign fields and have let count, led countless souls to the Lord. I mean, that didn't come by accident. They came in, counter, in, in, in contact with people like Catherine Kuhlman who had fasted and had prayed for that level of power. Ezekiel says that the power of God is like a river. Some people are at an ankle-deep anointing. Some people are at a knee-deep anointing. Some people, they have an anointing where they can still have their head over the water. But then there's another people, another group of preachers, ministers, and just regular Christians who have taken upon themselves. I am not satisfied with anything else. Like David, my soul longs for thee, O God. My flesh thirsts for thee to see your power in the sanctuary, to see the power that was at work in the days when you delivered Israel out of Egypt. I'm not content reading about your power. Lord, forsake me not until I have seen thy power at work in me. And those people, they always end up on top. Those people, you can, they're always chronicled in history. You look at a guy like Smith Wigglesworth giving himself over to, to prayer and fasting. And it was a, there wasn't a meeting he preached where there wasn't a significant, notable miracle that took place. You look at the life of Paul, those extraordinary miracles that happened through the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body. That didn't come by accident. That came as a result of a life given to fasting and prayer. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul listing the tribulation he went through. And he says, in thirstings and in fastings often. In fastings often. The moment Paul got saved, he went on a three-day fast where he didn't eat or drink any water. And what happened? From that moment onward, the Bible notes that Paul increased in power and he was confounding the Jews that dwelt at Jerusalem, preaching that Jesus was the Christ. You have the Holy Ghost in you, but you'll never value fasting until you realize that there's a flesh, there's your carnal flesh that Galatians 5 says is constantly opposing the desire of the spirit. The flesh wages war against the spirit and the spirit wages war against the flesh. 
So Paul said that you're not free to do what you want to do. You have this treasure in an earthen vessel, the Bible notes. If you're, if you're just tuning in now, please share the broadcast. It'd be a great help to me. Thank you very much in advance. You have this treasure in an earthen vessel. So the, are we anointed? Yes. The Bible says, because people have a hard time. They say, well, brethren, don't we have the Holy Ghost? You know, if, in, in, in that, isn't that all we need? You have the Holy Ghost. You're not going to have more Holy Ghost come into you. But fasting breaks down the barriers of the flesh so that the Holy Ghost can more evidently and notably manifest Himself through you. It's like, if even though, look, listen to this, this is a great analogy. Even if there was a tank that had 50,000 gallons of water in it, and you were, you're, you're the pipe from which that tank is flowing through to the people. And the people are thirsty. And there's a hundred people ready to be, to be uh, satiated from the water that's in that tank. But you're the pipe. And you're only a quarter of an inch pipe. Even if there's more than enough water to satiate a thousand people. 10,000 people, 50,000 people can receive one gallon of water each with a 50,000 gallon tank behind you. If you're a quarter of an inch thick as a pipe, you're limited in how much of that water can flow through you. And your impact will be limited. And the power at work through you will be limited. So what fasting does is it expands the width of the pipe that you are so that you're not a quarter of an inch anymore. You're now, you know, a yard, two yards, a massive pipeline where the gallons of water can freely flow like a torrent of water through you to reach the people. So it's not that there's not enough of a Holy Ghost in you. You have the anointing from the Holy One. You're anointed. There's no getting around that. If you're in Christ, the Holy Ghost lives in you. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you have the fullness of God in you. But just having a million dollars in the bank and not having an ability to make withdrawals off that bank account, it makes, it makes no difference how rich you are in that bank account. As unlimited of, as God is, he can do nothing or will do nothing on the earth unless He do, does it through us. And everyone God used in Scripture was given to fasting and to prayer. Peter was given to fasting and to prayer. The Bible says in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 4 that they were continually meeting together. They were continually meeting together for the apostles' doctrine for prayer, for fellowship, and breaking of bread. That breaking of bread is not just communion. Breaking of bread means they were breaking fast. And if you study the early church, they fasted at least two days a week where they gave over, to, they, they consecrated to the Lord. We're not going to let any food come into our mouth for these two days. 
And no wonder Acts chapter 5 verse 12 says, And many signs were done through the hands of the apostles, and everyone was together in Solomon's porch. And then it went even further, where it says, And many began to carry about on beds and couches those that were sick to wherever Peter was, that perhaps the shadow of Peter. Hallelujah. That's what the fasting does. It makes you to overflow. David said, I will be anointed with fresh oil. My cup will overflow. David was given to fasting and prayer. Oftentimes through the Psalms, it says that I gave myself to and humbled myself with prayer, sackcloth, fasting, and ashes. And David said, my cup runneth over. That's what cup runneth over means. Where handkerchiefs and aprons are brought from your body and just the residue of the anointing on you is sufficient to cast out devils and heal the sick. Uh, there's a story Smith Wigglesworth has in one of his, uh, his books that were chronicled on his life where he was preaching once and a woman came up to him and said, Brother Wigglesworth, my husband's a drunk and he wants nothing to do with God, but I'm praying for his soul. Wigglesworth took a handkerchief out of his his suit jacket and gave it to her and said, put this under the pillow that he sleeps on tonight. She did. The, that night, he woke up in the middle of the night sobbing and asking his wife to pray for him to lead him in a sinner's prayer to get right with God because he felt like he was going to hell and being swallowed up by hell. I mean, that it's not just any minister that's doing that. You look at all these guys. John G. Lake. T.L. Osborne. You know T.L. Osborne who, uh, who wrote that book, Healing the Sick? and had many signs and wonders in his meaning. Probably more healings in his ministry than any other ministry ever, on, ever recorded on planet Earth. And when he had no miracles, he learned about the art of fasting and prayer. And when he implemented that, he used to go on 21-day fast. He would go on 10-day on, on fast. He would give himself over to that and then that's when the miracles, it's not by accident. You have to take responsibility for your life if you're going to make anything of it. I'm going to read something out of the book of Ezra. This will make more sense to you. Ezra chapter 10, verse 4. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Then Ezra, now listen to what Ezra did. Ezra rose up. So arise. This matter is your responsibility. What did Ezra do? He didn't sit down. We're just going to leave it up. We're going to leave it to God in prayer. No. He rose up from before the house of God. And when he came in, he ate no bread and drank no water. And he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. So he immediately... When the word came forth, take responsibility, his first reaction was to rise up and fast and pray. I'm going to tell you, give you a couple of things that the effects of fasting and prayer, what fasting will do to you and for your life. Number one, fasting will change you. I said it before. It'll, it'll put you on a new dimension of power. It'll, it'll increase the level of anointing operating in you. Fasting changes me. Write that in the comment section. Fasting changes me. Fasting does not change God. 
Fasting changes me. Your life is going to be a product of your dedication and consecration to fasting and prayer. Your life will be the product. I'm not saying you have to go on a 40-day fast. And I'm going to get into more practical stuff on fasting and you know what you shouldn't do, what you should do. You, you, you probably shouldn't be doing a 40-day fast unless it's like a 6-to-6 six six fast, which is a partial fast. So don't go out and do these extreme, stupid things. There was a guy, Tiff Shuttlesworth, who's my uh, mentor in the faith. He came on the broadcast a couple of months ago, and he told me a story where there was a guy in his Bible college that decided to do a 50-day fast, just one-up Jesus of just liquids. He died. After 40-something days, he wanted to go and break his fast, and he broke it by eating a bologna sandwich or something, and he died. Because there's ways to get on a fast and there's ways to come off a fast. There's practical ways. So I'm not telling you to go out and, and do a dry fast for 21 days. But you got to start somewhere. And you can start with... Now there's... I'll get into this now. There's several fasts you can do. I've listed four fasts that you can, you can do. That are Bible fasts. Not, <laughs> not American... Come, uh, innovated fasts. I'm talking about Bible fasts. I, I like to do things biblically. Number one is an absolute fast. Absolute fast is no water, no food. I do not recommend anybody do that. I don't. Especially if you're not a minister. If you're not a I do not recommend you do an absolute fast where you abstain from water and food. Because even Jesus, when he fasted, the Bible says he went and he ate nothing for 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't say he didn't drink. Because afterwards, it says, and afterward he became hungry. It didn't say, and afterward he became thirsty. And everyone knows that thirst kicks in a lot more quick than, than uh, hunger. So even Jesus did a water, it was a water fast. I believe it was a water fast. The number, second fast you can do is a total fast. This is no food, but liquids are permitted. So you can, you can drink, you know, water, tea, juices, whatever you want. Now, I'm not saying you can go and drink milkshakes. I have a friend that did, <laughs> I have a friend that did, uh, I think he did like a 40-day fast, but it was, he was drinking milkshakes, and he was gaining weight. So I was, I was like, you're on a 40-day fast? Yeah, yeah. How come you're like 10 pounds heavier than when you started? Because he was doing milkshakes, and and, and uh, eating high-calorie food, high-calorie drinks, drinking high-calorie drinks. So I'm not saying you go out and blend a filet mignon steak and a beef tenderloin with every one of your favorite things and drink that. Liquids. So coffee, you can drink coffee, you can drink. Some people are really, really stuck up on these rules. I choose not to be legalistic. Look, the fact that you're not eating... I think that shows desperation. And there's very little calories in a tea. There's no calories in it. There's very little calories in coffee. So I, that's what's called a total fast. So no food, but liquids are permitted. Now, I would recommend that you don't go out and do a 21-day fast like this the first time you ever try this. I would recommend that you try and do it one day. When you can do one day, then go on to two days. When you can master two days, 
move on to three days. When it's no longer a challenge, then you can move on to four or five days. After about, I would say, the hunger pains, not hunger, you, don't, you won't really experience hunger pains, but you'll experience, you know, it's the acid in your stomach burning away at your, intest at your, your, your stomach lining. But if you drink a lot of water, in that practical advice, drink a lot of water because it's going to dilute the acids in your stomach and you won't feel like you're dying. <laughs> Another thing is, is you, even if you feel like you might be dying, you are not dying. It, scientifically, it takes 40 days for actual hunger to kick in and you, for you to feel uh, starvation. It takes 40 days. So those pains you feel at 6 p.m. on your first fast or the next day at 12 p.m. or day two or three of the fast, that's not hunger pains. That is not starvation. Starvation does not kick in, kick in until 40 days, around 40 days, the 40-day mark. That's why Jesus fasted 40 days, and afterward, he became hungry. He was starting to feel starvation kick in, and that's a very good time. to You should be breaking your fast. But I would recommend you do one day, do two days. If Once you master that, do three days, and then so on. After about seven days, Everything pretty much feels the same until 20, until 21 days. And then after 20, I mean, it's, it's amazing what you'll start feeling. After a certain amount of days, your, your mental clarity kicks in. Your, your breath, you know, at the first couple of days, some, some people ask me, are we allowed to chew gum during a fast? Well, I, my reply to that is you have a, a civil duty and obligation to chew gum during a fast because... There's uh, all these toxins that are being released in your body. You know, fasting and prayer, even without the spiritual side of it. The Bible says, Isaiah 58, then, 58, then shall your health spring forth speedily. It produces health in the body. I mean, there's, it, it literally suffoc it, it empties you of toxins, all this waste that's in your body, all the, the junk. You know, in America, the amount of sugar people put in their food, the amount of, of, of junk people put in their food, all the GMOs and sodium and all that, chemically fertilized food and wheat and all this, all this junk that we're putting in our bodies. When you fast, you're emptying yourself of all that. That's why your breath is going to be kicking the first couple of days. But after a few days, I tell you, it restores and your breath comes back to like a child's breath. Mental clarity kicks in. You'll start to see, I mean, <laughs> you'll start to see uh, a level of production in your life that you've never had before. Because you're not spending time. You know, they say it takes on average like five to eight hours to prepare for a meal. Why do I say that? The time you're thinking of what to eat, the time that you're out at the grocery store getting all your supplies, the time it takes to prepare, chop up the onions, all that, the time it takes to cook, the time it takes to eat, all of that. It's like it ends up accumulating. Well, if you, you take that time and then dedicate it towards reading the Word, studying, soul winning, praying, meditating on God's plan and purpose for your life, you'll see a level of productivity you've never seen in your life. So number two fast is a total fast. Number three fast, which is the one I recommend strongly, is a partial fast, which is a six to six fast. Especially if you've never fasted before, this is a great way to, to this is a great way to start. So 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. After 6 p.m., 
Now, during 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., you're just uh, drinking water. And uh, if, you're just a, if you're a newbie, you've never done this before, you can drink other drinks as well. But if, if, you, uh, if you fasted before, I would encourage 6 to 6, but just water. Just, just water. So it's called intermittent fasting, which apparently be, seems to be the craze and trendy thing even in, uh, in non-Christian circles. After 6 p.m., you can eat whatever you want. Obviously, that doesn't mean eat yourself into a, a stupor where you're barely standing after that and you have a hard time sleeping at night because your stomach's working overtime. I'm not saying that. But after 6 p.m., you can eat. That's what I recommend. And it's all through the Bible. In Judges 20, they fasted until the evening. Second Chronicles 20. I mean, you can go through the whole... The whole, uh, the whole shebang. Number four is the Daniel fast. Patty, great question. I'm going to get into exemptions. Daniel fast. Only vegetables. Now, I don't mean the North American Daniel fast. Where it's like... <laughs> where it's like... They put like 18... Pounds of Caesar dressing on their salad. And you end up gaining weight. Through it all. That's not a Daniel fast. Daniel fast is you're literally just eating raw vegetables. You can cook them, but you're limiting salt. It's not supposed to be enjoyable. The Bible talks about it. You depriving yourself from pleasure for a season. You're trying to take control over the appetites of the flesh. And I started off this broadcast by saying the greatest appetite that the flesh has, the lust of the flesh is not, it's not even riches. It's not sex. It's not fame or power the greatest appetite the flesh has is for food because you can go your whole life without any of those things fame power money sex whatever you can go your whole life and you won't die but you go 40 days without food and you'll die so the greatest desire of the body is to eat so fasting is bringing your flesh into subjection to the desires of your spirit so that you're not ruled by your mortal body. Rather, your mortal body is ruled by the desire of your spirit. You're crucifying the flesh. So if you're going to do a Daniel fast, like let's say you're, you want to do a 30-day fast, 21-day fast, but you're not ready to do a 6-6, six to six, you're not ready to do a total fast, you can, I, I, it's biblical. You can do it. But don't make it something where you're like, <laughs> there's like these Daniel fast cookbooks that they have where it's like, me not eating, uh, me eating, me eating, me not on a fast would love to cook one of those recipes. What North America calls fasting, third world countries call feasting. It's not supposed to be a feast. What North American countries call fasting, third world, third world countries call feasting. So it shouldn't be a feast. There should be a, de a depriving of oneself from it. So if you're going to do a Daniel fast, it should be only vegetables. Ariane, I, I honestly, coffee, you, you can have coffee anytime during, in my opinion, during a fast. Especially if you're, work, you're working, I mean, because like people say like, well, Jesus, you didn't have coffee. Yet Jesus wasn't working a nine to five job either. Well, Moses didn't have coffee. Yet he was in a, a mountain with God for 40 days, with the presence of God 
The actual tangible presence of God for 40 days. When that happens to you and a glory cloud surrounds you, you go ahead and have no coffee. But there's people that have lives. If you're in construction and you're, or you're, you are, you're an accountant and you, you can have coffee. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't be legalistic to the point where it just sucks out the fun from fasting. Where it's like, there's fun in fasting. I mean, you when you start to see the results of fasting breaking forth, I tell you, it starts to get addictive. There's not been a fast that I've been on where a notable door of opportunity hasn't opened to me. Every fast I've taken, I can trace back breakthrough to every single fast. I remember there was a time where I had no scheduled meetings. I went on a fast. And by the end of that fast, we had pastors calling us to schedule meetings. That's open doors. Some of you might not be in the ministry, but you have a business. God can open up doors and draw favor your way so that people that overlooked you will start to, to, to be attracted to you. Some of you are believing God for a promotion in your job, your career. Even though you're unqualified, the, the fasting and prayer unlocks a favor with God. So that even if you're unqualified, just like <laughs> Joseph wasn't qualified to become the economic analyst of Egypt, let alone prime minister. But because of his, the favor of God on his life, he went from the prison to the palace in one day and then became the economic expert. In, he didn't go to, the, to the, the universities of Egypt. Moses had no schooling on counseling three million people and governing three million people in a wilderness. There was no schooling. There's some things you won't ever learn in Bible college. There's some things you won't ever learn in, in natural college. There's some things that can only be unlocked through divine revelation. And Isaiah 58 says, Is this not the fast I've chosen? Then shall your light break forth. Light connotes revelation. If you're a businessman, God can give you strategies and plans to have supernatural multiplication in your business this year. That's why we take the first part of the year, especially in January, the whole body of Christ globally is fasting and praying. Fasting and prayer is not you trying to get God to bless your plans. Fasting and prayer is... You trying to tap into the mind of God, get revelation from heaven as to what he would have you do. And when you have that, fasting and prayer then empowers you to fulfill and accomplish the work that God set out for you to accomplish. So let me go through exemptions because this is important. Who's exempt from fasting? And not from praying, but from fasting. Number one, if you are pregnant, you do not fast. Point final. I don't care what it is. You don't fast. Number two, if you are nursing, you should not be fasting. Pregnant and nursing, you should not be fasting. Number three, if you're old, like 80 plus, and um, you feel like it, it, it's going to put stress on your body or whatever. I'm not saying discouraging. I'm just, you are exempt from fasting. You don't, don't beat yourself up because you're not fasting. 
If you want to fast, go ahead. But if you're part of the elderly class of society, don't beat yourself up because you didn't fast or you're not fasting now or whatever. And then also if you're a child under the age of 18, if you're under the age of 18, you should get parental uh, approval. And then if you're under the age of like 15, you're exempt from fasting. Those are, those are the exemptions that I have written down. Now I'm going to go through what to do during a fast, and then we're going to close up. What to do during a fast. So what do you do? Because fasting can be the biggest waste of time. If all you do is sit on your couch and stare at your wall from six to six. It, 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 it'll be a waste of time. You might as well just eat. If you're going to fast, I mean, we never got around to it. Let me read it. Matthew chapter six. Thanks for joining me today. Matthew chapter six. Moreover, verse 16. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. So what not, let me go through first, what not to do when you're fasting. <laughs> Number one is don't be a hypocrite with a sad countenance. If you're going to fast, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't go around everybody you meet, you meet or everybody you see in the street or everybody you come in contact with for the next how many days you're fasting and be miserable. Don't bring down the energy of a room because you're fasting. It shouldn't be that. People shouldn't even know you're fasting. And if you're really doing a fast right, you'll have more energy during a fast than when you don't, you don't have a fast, when you don't fast. So once you beat those first couple of days, you'll have more energy than when you're not fasting. So don't go when you're getting your hair cut and be the Debbie Downer with your, your barber. Or you get into a family, you know, family outing or whatever, going apple picking, and everybody is joking around and you're just there in the corner. As they're eating, you're just like nodding your head. Just guilt tripping everybody. That's right, Shireen. Don't be hangry. Because if that's the point, you might as well have a Snickers. You might as well break fast. If that's how you're going to be. The Bible says, whatever you do, be done in love. So love people. Be joyful around people. Be happy. Rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll be glad in it. And you'll see. If you make a decision to be joyful, even if fasting, your flesh doesn't like that you're fasting. But don't succumb to the emotional roller coaster of your flesh rather set yourself to be joyful paul said i think myself happy how do you think yourself happy just like jesus did for the joy set before him understand that you can't fast and pray and god not fasting in prayer is giving god heavenly a, a license to release heavenly intervention your way Fasting and prayer is giving God a license to release heavenly intervention your way. So that's joyful. Ex expectation builds joy in your heart. So expect things to turn around. And you won't walk around. And be careful how you speak during a fast. 
you know, we're fasting and praying, uh, but whatever, whatever happens, happens. No, if you're fasting and praying and don't have a specific target that you want to hit in me, eat. Don't walk through life aimlessly. Find a bullseye, bend your bow back, and hit the bullseye. If you go out with people at a, at a restaurant and everybody's eating and ordering and you're fasting, pay the bill or something. Do something. The Bible says, is this not the fast I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To set free them that are oppressed and heavy burdened. To give of your bread to the poor. So the food you would have eaten. You know, a good thing to do. You know, Jesus in Matthew 6 says three things. When you pray, when you fast, and when you give. So we pray and fast. A good thing to do is to give a seed. Sow a seed, significant seed. The food that you would have bought, the money you would have spent on food, sow it towards somebody else's meal. Somebody else's, a ministry, whatever. Sow a seed into the kingdom of God. And see what that releases. What kind of... Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was a man who was devout and was a holy man, an, an, a just man. And the Bible says that when the angel came to him, he said, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. He was praying, he was fasting. And the Bible says your prayer, fasting, and alms, your giving has come up as a memorial before God. Those are three things God pays heavy attention to. So don't be a Debbie Downer with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. If you want to secure man's sympathy, you will forfeit God's help and intervention. If you want to secure, that's your, Jesus goes on to say, surely I say to you, they have their reward. If that's what you want, to go on Facebook and put out on day three of my fast, feeling like crap. Keep me in prayer. If you're on a fast, they shouldn't be keeping you in prayer. You're the one that should be cultivating dynamic power with God to break other people out through prayer. Keep me in prayer. I'm going on a fast. Uh, no, you should be keeping other people in prayer. Or else, why are you fasting? When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, stay clean. Don't, <laughs> don't come out looking like you haven't bathed in three weeks. Clean yourself, groom yourself. They say of Smith Wigglesworth, he, no matter what, when you knocked on his door, 6 a.m., 8 p.m., he was always fully groomed, groomed in a suit and, and had his Bible in hand, always. So that you don't appear to, be, to men to be fasting, but to your father who's in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So what not to do? I just listed a bunch of things you shouldn't do when you're fasting. Don't tell people you're fasting. Don't go around, you know, boasting about how many days you can fast. You'll gain men's applause, but you'll forfeit heaven's smile. And what's the point in that, in that case? So what to do during a fast? Number one, replace your meals with prayer, fervent prayer. I said it before, prayer, fasting without prayer is like C4 without a detonator. It'll do you no good. Doesn't help you one bit. It's prayer and fasting. 
So substitute your meal time when everyone's going to lunch, when everyone's, you know, all that time you have that you would have made your chicken supper, all that time you had, you would have sat down and dined with your family. Instead, lead your family in a devotion. Read a book. Get, get a book. That's going to build your faith. Study. So number one, replace your meals with prayer. Number two, study the word of God. Eat. The Bible says, Job said this, I have longed for thy word more than my necessary food. So Job was in fasting. He said, I'm not even interested in food anymore. I, Jesus said, man liveth not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Paul told Timothy, until I come, give attention to exhortation, to doctrine, and to preaching. Study this book of the law. Let it not depart from your mouth. Read, get the word. Make diligent search with your spirit. Ask God for strategies from his word. Ask God for revelation. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation come on you as you engage in fasting. To open up your eyes to see the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, and the power that's available to you who believe. Because the good thing about fasting and prayer, fasting itself does not build faith. But what fasting does is it breaks down your flesh, which is the source of doubt. Your spirit stands in faith. Your flesh is where doubts arise. Your flesh is where skepticism arise. Your flesh is where um, unbelief comes from. So fasting crushes your flesh's ability to procure unbelief and gives your heart the ability to readily receive the seed of the word of God. So that faith is more easily built from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So fasting crushes the flesh and heightens your spiritual ability to receive from the word. And in so doing, build your faith. So that's why when Jesus turned to those Disciples that tried to cast the demon out. He didn't say you didn't have enough power. He said this kind cometh not out except through fasting and prayer. And before that he said when they asked why could we not cast the demon out? Because of your unbelief. And this kind cometh not out but through fasting and prayer. So fasting and prayer arrests unbelief. And because faith is at work the power of God is more freely flowing through you. To deal with satanic influences and opposition. Hallelujah. Number three. So number one. Replace your meal with prayer. Replace your meal. Number two with the word. And then number three. Soul win during this time. Make it a point. I'm telling you. There will be a, a, a heavier anointing on you. To preach the gospel. So when you told your loved one, friend, co-worker about the gospel before, they didn't care for it much. Now you're fasting. You're, you've unlocked a new dimension of power. So when you'll see, you'll have better results than before. The Bible says that Paul and uh, Barnabas, after they fasted and prayed, Paul and Barnabas was set apart for the ministry. Fasting and prayer will set you apart for the ministry of the Lord, which is why to seek and to save that which was lost. Engage in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Number four, and I'll finish with this. 
And this is important. What to do while you're fasting? You need to settle your accounts with people that have wronged you or that you've wronged. If you don't walk in love, you're wasting time. You're wasting time. There's no point in depriving yourself of food if you're going to be backbiting the entire time you're fasting. There's no point of depriving yourself from food if the entire time you're just going to criticize how everyone does everything wrong and not how you're right. Walk in love. The Bible says that if I give my body to, the, to, the, to, to be burnt at the stake and if I give away everything to the poor, if I fast but I have not love, it profits me nothing. It's unprofitable to walk in love no matter what. It's like if any of you ever played video games. If you have your manette, your controller, and you have the game on in front of you, and you're playing, I don't know, Call of Duty or something, and you're trying to shoot the guy, but your controller's not plugged in, it doesn't matter how hard you push the button, you're not going to win that game. If you're playing NHL hockey, and you're trying to win, but every time your people just stay in the same five spots on that screen because your controller's not plugged in, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to lose all the time. In the same vein. Like I said before, if there's 50,000 gallons of water in a tank behind you, but your pipe's not connected to it. Love connects you to the pipeline of, to, to the flow of God's power. And if you're not walking in love, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, the Bible says that Jesus told a parable of a man who had 10,000 talents of silver in debt to his master. And his master was going to sell him, his children, and his wife, and all his possessions until every last penny was paid. And the servant begged the master and said, Have compassion on me, and have patience with me, and I'll pay you back everything. The master felt compassion for him, and he forgave him his debt. But that same servant went out and found someone who owed him a 100 denarii, which is like... A hundred days of wages, which is far less than the debt he owed. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. You can't walk in unforgiveness. You can't walk in bitterness towards another when you realize and are aware of the forgiveness and love God demonstrated towards you while you were still in sin. Christ died for you. Cut out the petty arguments. It frustrates me because I see people leave the church. Well, he, You know that pastor... I always wanted to teach at one of the classes and he never let me teach. So I, you know, I'm starting my own church. You'll go to hell because Jesus said that when the master found out what that servant who was ungrateful for what he had done did to his, his fellow servant, he summoned him and said, is it true? Shouldn't you have had compassion just as I had compassion on you? Cut him up and appoint him in the fire that's never quenched. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Hey, listen to this. So will my heavenly Father do to you if each of you from your heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Peter said, Well, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times a day? Jesus turned and said, I don't tell you seven times. Seventy times, seven times. Hey, Isaiah. Miss you, man. God bless you. 70 times, 7 times. Well, you don't know what he's done to me. Who cares? 
You don't know what you did to God. You committed high treason against God. That's exactly the problem man has faced since the garden. Did you eat of the apple? Well, the woman gave. Who? Don't blame it on other people. You're as far in life as you have taken responsibility to be. It's not your mother. It's not your father. It's not the system that's set up to try and suppress you and oppress you. It's not your, your boss even. Because Joseph, his family, he could have made every excuse. Well, you know, if you grew up with brothers I had, you would know what I went through. No, he didn't make excuses. He took responsibility. He rose up to the occasion. And no matter what, he said, far be it for me that I should sin against God by committing this deed of wickedness. When Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him, he said, no, I'll never do that. I'll never sin against God. I don't fear men. I don't make excuses as to why things came against me. I make excuses as to why things will go for me because when the hand of God backs you up, it doesn't matter who gets in your way. The bulldozer of heaven will flatten it. And the fear of the Lord windeth upward for the wise. You know what the Bible says of unforgiveness? A cruel man troubles his own flesh. Troubles his own flesh. When you refuse to forgive, you screw things up for yourself. John Osteen used to say, He that refuses to forgive, refuses to cross... Sorry, he that refuses to forgive burns down the bridge which he himself must cross over. David. You don't think he could have gotten bitter? What did he do? Did the total opposite. I was glad when they said to me. I mean, Saul threw a javelin at him. And when David had chance and opportunity to take Saul's life, he said, I will never strike the Lord's anointed. Far be it from me that I should touch the Lord's anointed and do this harm to him. And he called out to Saul and he said, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because I, I, that's why some of you, you criticize your pastors and expect to live a blessed life. You'll never, you'll never live blessed criticizing people that God has set in authority over you. Well, you know, if I was running that, this is, I would have done a better job than them. I mean, what a demonic thought. That's exactly what got Satan in trouble. I'm going to ascend myself ahead of God. I'm going to reach further than where God is. I'm going to ascend higher than the stars of heaven. And I'm going to seat myself in a throne above God's throne. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So four things you have to do in a fast. One, you pray. The fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, brings forth many results. Call unto me. You have not because you ask not. It's not fasting that does the work. It's fasting and prayer that releases answers to your, to your problem. You know, I was studying Daniel 6 the other day. 
And Daniel was in the lion's den. But do you remember this small detail? Everybody, you know, yes, Daniel did trust in his God. And Daniel was innocent in his heart towards God. And that's why God sent his angel to deliver him. But do you know there were people praying and fasting for Daniel? King Darius set himself to fast and to entreat God. And the next morning he went in and said, Daniel, has your God whom you serve been able to deliver you? And Daniel replied, yes. Da Darius fasted for Daniel. Number two, get in the word. Study the word. This, this is your ammo in prayer. Put me in remembrance, says God. State your case that you might be acquitted. Bring forth your strong reasons for my word. Ezra studied the word to do and to teach its statutes in all of Israel. So learn the Bible. The Bible says, uh, in I think it's in the book of Jude, verse 3. It says, brethren, while I was desiring to write to you concerning our common salvation... I feel the need to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith that was delivered to you. Contend for the faith. How do you contend for the faith? By wrestling in this book. Remember, David said, I remember thy word. I've stored thy word in my heart that I would not sin against thee. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to his word. Paul says in the Corinthians that his word... I've become like a living, walking epistle. You, you know, people always say, TJ, you're like a living, a walking Bible. You sh everyone should be a walking Bible. Well, you know, God obviously blessed you with the, the gift to memorize. No, He's blessed me with a grace to study, and I've taken that grace towards me has not been in vain, but I've disciplined myself, and I read, and I study. Where do you usually tell new believers to start? Yeah, John is a good place. I like the book of Mark. Honestly, any gospel is, is a great place to start, Ariane. Ariane, great, great question. Number three, get in the Word. Sorry, number two, get in the Word. Number three, soul winning. And then number four, we dealt with it. Settle your accounts. Forgive people. Some of you have to call someone after this broadcast ends and say, Sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, pastor this and that. And obviously, if the person, if you've done something, like you've thought thoughts towards them, but they don't even know about it, just settle your account with God. You don't have to call everybody and say, hey, you know, I've always hated you. Really? I never knew. You don't have to start that because they're, they're always going to be like super curious around you after that. Just deal with God. But if you've hurt them and they know about it and you know about it, then you should settle your account today. I'll tell you about one account that has to be settled. Is that your account with God. And there's a way to settle that account. The Bible says in Colossians 2.14 that the handwriting of debt, the certificate of debt that we owed God, we had just like that man in that parable I said before, 10,000 talents of silver doesn't even... Doesn't even scrape the bottom of the barrel as to what debt we owed God 
because of our high treason towards him. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there was no money, no ransom, no amount of price that we could have paid God off to redeem us or forgive us. It took the stainless, innocent blood of his son to break us free and release us from the debt of sin. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're not living a consecrated life. You're not living on fire for God. You're, you're, you're still bound by sin and haven't been released from those things. But there's something in you that says, I want to get right with God. I've seen what the world's going through and I know time is running out. It feels apocalyptic. And you want to get right with God? Today's your day. The Bible says God has wiped out the handwriting of requirements. The debt that we owed, God took it out. But the decision on which, the, 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 the reality on, of if you make heaven or not, no longer depends on God. It depends on you. God has prepared heaven for a prepared people. And the way you prepare to meet God. The way you prepare to be in relationship with God is very easy. You need to admit you're a sinner and need His help. Number two, you need to believe on the gospel. And then number three, you need to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and commit and consecrate your life to Him from this day forward. If you're here today and you've never done that, or maybe you have, but you've slipped back into your old ways. God's not angry at you. God's not waiting with a lightning bolt ready to strike you. God is still a mighty deliverer and he wants to pull you out. You know that saying, well, you got yourself in the mess, you got to get yourself out. No, that's not the way God does it. You might have gotten yourself in the mess, but God is merciful. He's slow to anger. And though his anger's for a moment, his favor's for a lifetime. And weeping might endure for a night. But when you repent, the Bible says, your sins are blotted out and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. If you're interested in that, and every one of you that haven't made this decision should be, I want you to pray this from the bottom of your heart. Say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe in my heart that God, you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. I thank you that I'm cleansed from all sin. That I'm released from the penalty of sin. And now I am blessed. And I'm a new creature. Never to turn back. Forward always. And I'll walk with you. The rest of my life. In Jesus name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer. I'd love for you to get in contact with me. Go to salvationnow.ca The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it. Fill it out. Get it to me. I want to send you something. Uh, free of charge. We pay shipping, handling, all the fees. I want to help you out. By getting some a Bible to you. And whatever else material. That's going to greatly help you in this new walk with Christ. So do that. SalvationNow.ca. I just got saved. The first link that pops up. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.SalvationNow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.